Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. During this Paschal season, this time of the radiant resurrection, it's just so splendid. And also, I invite you to take heart, have faith. God has it all under control. To the last detail, God is the great setup artist. This is called capitulation. Let's go back to the beginning, to Genesis. There's Adam and Eve. Where? In a garden. And what happens in the garden? The serpent comes. The devil, in the form of a serpent, comes and speaks to whom? The girl, the woman, Eve, and gives her a bad line. She falls for a bad line. He gives her a message which would lead to death and everything related to that. Now we look at another setting in a garden, and that is the Virgin Mary, the new Eve, standing in the garden, unsuspecting. And instead of a serpent approaching her, it is the angel, Gabriel, who brings the message of God, the message of life, not of death. And then when our Lord is born, he's born in a virginal cave brought there by a man whose name is Joseph. He's wrapped in clean linens. Basically, we call that swaddling clothes. But in the iconography of the Eastern churches and the spirituality of, of that icon, it is actually depicted as burial wrappings, thus foreshadowing something else that will happen to him again in a cave. Once again, after his death, Jesus's body will be taken by another Joseph, just as it was taken into Egypt, taken to the cave in Bethlehem by Joseph. Now it's another Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, together with Nicodemus, who with reverence for the body of Christ, claim the body boldly. They had to go to Pilate and ask boldly at the risk of their own life to take the body down and to bury it. They wrap it in clean linen, anointing it, and put it into a virginal cave, just as when he was born. And then what happens is at the resurrection, the first to know about it are the women. And where does it happen? In a garden. This time, the angel, instead of a serpent, bringing the news of goodness, of glory, of harmony, of integration, of all that is good, instead of the message of 
disintegration and death that happen in the garden with the first woman. So the women are told that the tomb is empty. They're given the good news and told to take it to the apostles. So you see what's happened is the fall of humanity began by a woman receiving the bad message. Now, what God will do, being the great setup artist, he uses the same details, the same figures, the same type of sequence and events and atmosphere and environment, the garden, women, and a message. The garden, women, and a message. You get it? Only this time now, since the message came through womanhood in the Garden of Eden, the bad message, Christ will redeem womanhood by allowing women to receive the message of, first of all, as the Virgin Mary did, the message of life in her womb, that life being God himself incarnate, and then at Christ's resurrection is the women who hear it first. So we go from the fall of womanhood to the redemption, from receiving a bad message to being the first to receive the message of life and resurrection. Do you see how God is the great setup artist? See, he had it all together. He had it all planned for the beginning. He takes the very things that were intended for good, that became fallen and corrupted, and he still uses those same things to redeem and to restore his original plan. Human beings fell. They no longer bore completely the likeness of God. They always had the image, but they did not have the likeness because of sin. But God would not abandon the human person. He would become a human person, and through a human person, through himself, as the new Adam, humanity would be redeemed. This is the great capitulation, the great weaving together of all the details of the coming back to the beginning and taking the beginning even to greater heights. In the prayers that we say for this Sunday, and this happens to be the Sunday of the myrrh-bearing women, that's why we feature the redemption of women today and in our program today. In the matin service, that's the morning prayer service, the prayers say this, At your conception, O Lord, and notice in the prayers, notice that this capitulation. At your conception, O Lord God, an angel said to her who was full of grace, rejoice. At your resurrection, an angel rolled away the stone from the door of your glorious tomb. The first angel spoke with signs of joy instead of sorrow, and the latter brought us the good news of a Lord who gives life instead of death. Therefore, we shout to you, O benefactor of all, glory to you, O Lord. What happens is, God always completes his plan. He's the God of it all. And that's why we need to still be people of hope and of resurrection. We're in a time of great darkness, let's face it. The evil one is bringing us a message as he did to Eve in the garden. He's bringing us a message of fear, anxiety, and division. Let's face it, fear, anxiety, and division. Hallmarks of the evil one. But God, allowing darkness, he allowed the devil to enter the garden. It's not that he wanted it, but he allowed it. He allowed the devil. In fact, he granted the devil permission to harass Job. Remember the oldest book in the Bible, Job? Only God said to the devil, just don't hurt his person. But you can harass him and test his faith. You think he's not faithful? You think he's faithful only because he has a good life? Well, go ahead and test him. I give you permission. So he puts Job through this great angst, this darkness, this incredible suffering. Why? To reveal something greater, to reveal the integrity of Job's faith in the end, and to reveal himself as God. And so once again, we're in a time of darkness. 
so that God may, in his own way, whatever way that is, reveal himself as God to bring about something greater. We don't know how or when. But look what he did in his whole sequence of events of his death and descent into hell and resurrection. He allowed the darkness. There was darkness when he died on the cross. The sun and the moon went dark. There was darkness as he entered into Hades to break the bonds of Satan and free the captives there. So he allowed himself to be put in a dark tomb to descend into dark Hades so that he could rise up and take all humanity with him and restore that original plan in God's own time and God's own way. And we see this as he weaves the details together, as they capitulate. In other words, they come back to the beginning. That is the miracle of the resurrection. And that's why we need to live it, proclaim it, and make it real. Because we're in a time of this darkness, and we need this hope. We need to see God's precedent that he will allow a darkness And we'll allow the serpent to roam around. He did it from the very beginning. We don't know why exactly. It's not that he wants it, but he is the God of everything. He allows so much freedom, so much free will, even among the spiritual beings. The angels had free will and they went against God. That's how we formed the devil, Lucifer, the angel. He had the choice to rebel against God or to follow God. And he chose against God. So God never takes away the free will. He allows things to happen, but he's still the God of it all. And he will bring about his plan and what is greater, even sometimes through darkness. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Royal. So now it's Miss Five Foot Two, Eyes of Blue, kicking the butt of the 300-pound muscle man bad guy with a single glancing blow on practically every TV show and film today. Step aside, Superman and Captain Marvel. You can be replaced by a woman. After all, women have no value in themselves. They only have worth that they look like a man, dress like a man, kick butt like a man, accomplish things like a man, and make a greater salary than a man, and are everywhere a man is. Femininity has no power or dignity in and of itself, as it was in the very beginning, with the serpent and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Once again, womanhood is falling for a bad line, and manhood is doing nothing to protect her from that. So it was with the first man, Adam. This is all a conspiracy by the evil one to break down manhood and fatherhood, render it all inconsequential and emasculated. Ah, but this is just a means to an end. In God's order of creation and the life of the church, it is all about the woman, the bride. It was so for Jesus Christ himself. The evil one's ultimate prize is the woman, the bride, and manhood stands in the way of that. So manhood and fatherhood must be eliminated and neutralized. The fact is, The most powerful force in the order of creation is authentic femininity, the genius of womanhood. Men become men precisely by defending, protecting, and providing for womanhood. And women realize their true strength, dignity, and happiness by allowing and supporting men to make it all about the bride. 
This is Bishop Christopher Coyne for OLPH Radio in Burlington, Vermont, and you're listening to Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R life at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. And again, I say to you, Christ is risen, and I'm listening for your shout back. Shout it. That's right. Indeed, he is risen. That's the greeting of the Eastern churches, many Eastern churches who are on the Gregorian calendar, and therefore they're in the Paschal season. So Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. This is the Sunday of the myrrh-bearing women. It's the second Sunday after her resurrection. And each Sunday after the resurrection, for several Sundays at least, just as there was before the Lenten season, there are different themes. And today's theme is, well, it's featuring women. I like to call this Ladies' Day in the Byzantine Church, Ladies' Day. We're seeing the term that I use, capitulation. In other words, where something comes back to the beginning. The setting, the figures in the beginning, Going back to Genesis, Adam and Eve, a man, woman, a message in a garden, that which went wrong because of the bad message now gets capitulated. We go back to the garden with a woman receiving the message of the incarnation and now of the resurrection. So you see how God does it. He weaves together all this integration so that he and he alone it triumphs over even the worst thing. Now, during this Sunday, we also feature a little bit of St. Joseph. Now, there was Joseph and Nicodemus, not the father of Christ, but Joseph and Nicodemus. We see Joseph of Arimathea doing, as we mentioned earlier, what Joseph, the foster father of Jesus, did. Carry the body, carry Christ to a cave. In the first part, it was Christ's nativity in the cave, bringing Jesus in the womb of his mother, Mary, to that place. And now it's Joseph who, with Nicodemus, takes down the body of Christ and places it in a cave. But we also look at a number of liturgical texts that give us a lot of insight, a lot of meditations on the significance of this event. Let's look at a few of these. Why do you sprinkle your myrrh with tears, O women, disciples? The stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. Behold, life has triumphed over death. The seals give brilliant witness that the guards of the godless have watched in vain, that mortal nature has been saved by the flesh of God, and that Hades is in mourning. Hasten in joy, proclaiming to the apostles that Christ, the conqueror of death, is the firstborn of the dead. He shall go before you into Galilee. We hear those poetic words, Why do you sprinkle your myrrh with tears, O women disciples? They were mourning. They were sprinkling their ointment with tears. They were bringing to the body, thinking the body was still there. And then we hear about Joseph. Joseph asked for the body of Jesus. He placed it in his own new tomb. 
It was fitting for the Lord to come forth from the tomb as from a bridal chamber. You destroyed the dominion of death. You opened the gates of paradise to the human race. Glory to you, O Lord. This theme of bridal chamber is something that we heard before the death of Christ during the Passion Week, what we call the Week of the Bridegroom, and we hear it once again during this resurrection time. Joseph asked for the body of Jesus. He placed it in his own new tomb. It was fitting for the Lord to come forth from the tomb as from a bridal chamber. We'll also sing during this Paschal season, Christ emerges from the tomb like a bridegroom from the bridal chamber and fills the women with joy. So once again, we get that spousal mystery, which is really what this is all about. The whole point of God's revelation, the whole point of the incarnation was for God to wed his bride, which would be us, his creation, come to fullness in the church. That's what it's all about. It's just about a big love relationship. And as the bride got in trouble, God, the bridegroom, swoops down like Superman, like the Superman story. He swoops down to earth, becomes incarnate, becomes one of us to eventually save us by dying on the cross, descending into hell, breaking the bonds, and rising up and raising us with him. He comes for his bride. And that's why in the liturgical text, it makes reference to Christ emerging from the tomb as from the bridal chamber. In other words, he mystically, mystically consummates a marriage on the cross. He, the new Adam, his mother now, the new Eve. That's why he calls her woman, meaning Eve and not mother. Woman, behold your son. And we see in Joseph something that can help us renew our vision, appreciation, understanding, devotion to the Eucharist. Joseph cared for the body of Christ even beyond his own health and well-being, his own welfare. Now, that's a good one for this coronavirus, isn't it? A lot of the restrictions, a lot of our staying away from church, a lot of the lockdowns, you have to question a lot of that. Some of it's okay. We're in uncharted territories, I realize. They want to be reasonably safe, I would stress. At the same time, we have to look at what are we sacrificing? Are we sacrificing the integrity, the very belief in what the Eucharist is, in fact, the body of Christ, and we cannot get sick by receiving, uniting ourselves to the body and blood of Christ? We're not going to get sick doing that. That is life-giving matter, life-giving. In the prayers in the Byzantine church during our liturgy, we pray before communion that the receiving the body and blood of Christ will be for our health and salvation, the remission of our sins, and also for our health and salvation. We sing also this, O Lord, who clothes yourself with light as with a garment, Joseph and Nicodemus took you down from the cross and seeing you without life, without a garment, without a grave, in their compassion they wept and lamented, woe is me, most sweet Jesus. The sun was covered with darkness when it saw you suspended upon the cross. The earth quaked with fear, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Now, listen to Joseph, what the questions he asked. I see that you willingly endured death for my sake. How then shall I bury you, O my God? With what linen shall I cover you? With what hand shall I touch your most pure body? What hymn shall I sing at your death? Therefore, with compassion, Lord, I glorify your passion. I praise your burial and your resurrection, crying out, O Lord, glory to you. Now, there we see in Joseph the posture that we are to take towards Christ and his very body. Now, his body is the Eucharist, of course, but it is also the church itself. And Joseph defers, he bows to that body. Here's this dead body, and he feels unworthy to touch it, 
to wrap it, to bury it. He asks himself, how, how can I do this to you, O Lord? In the same way in the Old Testament, no one could touch the Ark of the Covenant, and someone who did was struck down dead. The Ark was the prefigurement of the Virgin Mary with Christ within her, because what was in the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God in the form of the manna, the rod of Aaron, and the Ten Commandments. Now in the New Testament, that gives rise to the Virgin Mary is the new Ark, and she has within herself Christ. And so we have this metaphor of not being able to touch something so holy. When we receive the Eucharist, we approach the Eucharist. We have to ask ourselves, how do we really approach it? We should approach it as, as, as sinners, as beggars. We're not worthy of it. We're not entitled to it. We must be made worthy of it. And the only one that can make us worthy is Christ himself. Now, we take part in that by saying the beautiful, rich, long prayer of preparation for the Eucharist in our Byzantine liturgy. In the Latin rite, there's also a prayer asking for worthiness as well. It's from, right from the scripture. I am not worthy to receive under my roof. Only say the word, my soul shall be healed. Remember, that was the centurion's words to Christ. So in both churches, east and west, there is this self-debasing, this self-emptying, this, this humiliation that we must go through in order to be made worthy, to even come close to being made worthy, to receive the precious body of Christ. And this is the attitude that Joseph has as he takes down the body of Christ from the cross. And as I mentioned earlier, I must stress again, he did this at risk to himself. You know, this is the counter to what happened with Judas. In the liturgical text during Great Week, Week of the Bridegroom, we sing this, that Judas counted the cost of the perfume. Remember when the woman came and anointed Christ at dinner with the fragrant ointment that was expensive, and Judas protested, why are you wasting that? It could have been sold to the poor, kind of like we do now. We justify things with something that sounds good, even though we're not really sincere about it. That oftentimes happens. We see that a lot of times in the political sphere, unfortunately, a lot of hypocrisy or words that are used that sound good. Uh, who can argue with that? But they're actually insincere oftentimes. So Judas uses these great words. He counts the cost of the aromatic nard, the perfume, and feigns that it's, he's concerned about the poor, but yet he does not flinch, as the prayers say. He does not flinch to sell the priceless one. And there you have it. There you have the sense of what is really, really priceless, seen right through the liturgical presentation of these events of Holy Week and of the resurrection of Christ in the persons of Judas, from Joseph and Nicodemus to the women who come bearing the myrrh to anoint the body. We have also in the liturgical text that capitulation, that connection of the virginity, as I mentioned, the virginal tomb in both places, the cave at Christ's birth, and then the virginal tomb at his burial. And we say this in the Matin service, O King of glory, when you became incarnate, your mother's virginity remained, and you did not break the seals of the tomb. All creation rejoices when it sees your holy resurrection. You see that? Not breaking the seals. That virginal reality, the, the virgin remained a virgin before, during, and after birth of Christ. And now Christ does not break the seal of the tomb. He rises up, although the tomb was sealed. Another verse, strip me of my ancient garment that had been woven from me by the power of iniquity. You have clothed me, O Lord, in the garment of immortality. This idea of a clothing, of a garment, is very, very strong in the Eastern tradition because we say that when we're baptized, we put on Christ 
all you've been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ or put on Christ. You see, when we sin, when original sin happened, we put on a different, what the fathers of the church call it, a garment of skin. In other words, we became more coarse. Our bodies somehow were more blessed, more holy, more spiritualized when they were innocent. Then they became this coarser body that we know in our existence. And what happens is, as we hear in the liturgical text, you have clothed me, O Lord, in the garment of immortality. In other words, Christ comes and he puts on the original garment, and even a greater one, an eschatological garment. In other words, the garment of brilliance. It's not just doesn't mean physical clothes. It means our being, our body, our human nature is being clothed like a new garment. And this is what happens with the coming of Christ by his incarnation, his baptism, and now his resurrection. There is so much more about this resurrection experience and so much is communicated to us through the liturgy of the church. Today though, we look at the women, the first to hear of the good news of the resurrection. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East, Christ is Risen. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. WTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a, a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!